Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but although I have spent uh, time in the past wishing I were Britney, writhing in a music video, looking like the hottest person in the world, etc., if they brought that python anywhere near me, I would scream like a baby, I would jump on a chair, I would run out, I would have an hysterical fit, and I would play into every stereotype that women can't uh. handle reptiles in the world. Uh. Who oh. do you think I am, Bindi Irwin? That's exactly what I would say. Who do you think I am, Bindi Irwin? Uh, I couldn't. I just physically couldn't do it, and it wouldn't matter how much you were paying me. Um, it wouldn't matter. I could never do I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, mostly because I have dignity but I I no listen some of my friends have done it and yay but I could not and one of the reasons I could not is I left Australia precisely because everything wants to kill you and I am not going back there into the deepest darkest forests where they're going to jump on you so I just physically couldn't it's not like oh well I'd have hypnotherapy I couldn't and I wouldn't and also I wouldn't want to have hypnotherapy because then I would like snakes and I don't want to like them yeah, because you get too comfortable, you get too friendly. They train little baby orangutans to be afraid of snakes that aren't born in the wild because they don't know, but it's important that they do know. And so they'll like sit them around all calm and they're just having a good time. And then they'll like throw this fake snake at them and be like, ah, and they're like, danger! And then they learn. That sounds somewhat abusive, if you ask me. they got to learn. Okay, all right. Well, listen, we should do another episode on whether orangutans are being treated correctly, in my opinion. First of all, no, the palm oil industry is ruining their lives. Yeah, this needs a thorough investigation. Do you want to do another feminist spot? So many feelings about little baby (laughs) primates. Oh, so cute. You ever seen them eat stuff? Oh, my God. Uh, Look, I'm a feminist, but I don't believe... Any woman who says that she's watching football games for the joy of it and not to see men's butts. I'm just not buying it. I don't believe it. I don't trust it. They're liars. That's the end of it. Don't try to argue with me. They're liars. That's it. (laughs) There were some very handsome ones, and I have to say... So cute. Yeah. Did you watch the tennis on Sunday? Oh my god, no, I don't watch any of those things. I just see the little photos when they come out after when they look happy or sad. Um, and one of my favorite things about uh, runny sports, mm-hmm. right? The runny ones, basketball, football. I was going to say soccer, but I'm trying to respect the nation that I am in. Thank you. Um, your, yeah. your nation yeah. thanks you. Thank and you so much. Yeah, your adopted nation thanks something, you. Something, something Britannia, however the song goes. Um, 
It's like, I stand Britannia. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the original number is not I stand Britannia, but listen, it would be an Britannia, we stand. <laughs> I think it's rule Britannia, Britannia rules the waves. Ooh, I don't, yeah, I think Not it's, a good song, actually. No, no. We, we, we've stopped singing that one, except at the last night of the proms where they go, eh. Uh, They're like, it's a thing. I guess this is also not very feminist, but like, I just love that those people, like their job is just to exercise. Like the ab to no ab ratio is ridiculous in that workforce. You don't get that in the corporate world, that many abs. No, no, it's impressive. It's absolutely impressive. But if you you are interested in Googling who came runner up in the tennis. Yeah. Did anyone else see Berrettini, the Italian? Yeah. Attractive. Was that a woo like yes we know him? A woo like oh, oh Berrettini. It's it was. I'm a feminist, but it was oh, oh uh-huh. Berrettini. Mm-hmm. Okay, turn up. I'm a feminist, but Berrettini could restring my racket. Turn up. And also, what a good tennis player. I admire him for his skills. It is not for me to objectify yes, a man who yes, I assume yes. is much younger than me because he plays tennis professionally yeah. and, it, you know, he's breaking through. So he's probably... Respect. Yeah. I don't know. How old is Berrettini probably? 23 or something? It's, sorry? Twenty twenty five. See, the way that y'all know that. <laughs> Did you say 22-25 or... Oh, he's 25. Oh, so quick and ready with the thing. How old is he? 25? (laughs) (laughs) What is his star sign? (laughs) Do you know it? Do you research? I'm not into star signs, but I feel I have to be now because everyone else is. So I try and be kind. Pisces, sun, cancer, moon, Aries, rising. A lot of feelings, but I get shit done. (laughs) I'm Sagittarius, and I don't know what that means. But we're I very skeptical good. about astrology. <laughs> uh, very skeptical. Um, do you want to do an I'm a feminist, but? Yeah, why not? Why not? I'm a feminist, but I don't believe that women or gender non-conforming people can be football hooligans. Yeah. I said it, okay? We can't do everything that men can do. So sue me, you know? But I know what you're not going to do. You're not going to beat me up because you can't. You're not capable of it. (laughs) Listen, I need to tell you something about some of my people, by which I mean white, straight, cis women. Oh, the whites. Yeah. Tell me. Some of them can be hooligans. Not me, just to be clear. Also, I'm bisexual, so I duck out of this category. I don't believe it. You don't believe I'm bisexual? No, (laughs) not that. I very much believe We've had chats. Look, not like flirty chats, but like chats about them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like little queer chats. Um, But like, I don't know. I just, I think there's a certain kind of like rage that has to come from just like a nasty place that can only be described as straight balls. Fair enough. Do you know what? I think it comes from this. It's the only time that a certain sort of man, hashtag not all men, that a certain sort of man can express yeah. happiness, yeah. sadness, love, racism, and, and well, <laughs> and singing. That yes. singing. When do they get to sing? sing? But on the terraces, they get, they get to, sing? to sing. It's all of their kind it's of true. suppressed humanity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Um, my dad, who loves the sports, which is why I won't watch them. They've taken enough from my family already. <laughs> um, I'm a feminist, but if I thought I could get away with it, and I definitely can't, mm. 
I would just once go out like uh, Britney in Hit Me Baby One More Time. You know, mm, just like to like... a party. Yeah, just in that sort of that. I do find mm-hmm. it, and this is really a terrible admission, and I'm sorry, but this is the confessional part of the show. Yeah, so that's the part. That's what it is. I, so. Uh, yeah, so forgive me, you know, <laughs> feminism for I've sinned, but I do have a little thing for anything preppy. I love clothes that look like a school uniform. I love oh. it. If I, I'm always drawn to sort of something navy with a white mm. trim or something like that. Mm. And there is something of the school uniform about that that really does do it for me. And obviously, I'm not going to dress like that. I would look ridiculous, like with little pink bunches. Well, but you, you know, don't knock it until you try. What'd you say to me? Never say never. Never say never. But I really should say never about dressing up like a schoolgirl. I feel like <laughs> I just think that should be a private pleasure and one that should not be inflicted on the world. Much like putting a firecracker in your anus. It's a, it's a private pleasure. If you're listening internationally, uh, one of our football supporters of this great nation did do that. And mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, very much a meme. Um, yeah. Uh, just a moment where I was just like, wow, I'm so proud that I live in this country. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, are you done? Have you got any more? I do. I have another. Go on. Very controversial. Everyone get ready to be upset with me. Um, so I'm a feminist, but I watch Love Island, and you're not alone. Um, I know I'm not. It's crazy. It feels like I like cycle. Like I know it's manufactured and nonsense, but it really does feel like you like take the roof off of like a rat maze, and then you're just like, what are they doing? Um, it's madness to me. Um, and somebody should criticize them. They don't. They're not checked. Their behavior is so unchecked. Anyway. Uh, they were playing this game where they were like, guess what your partner like doesn't like in women or something like that. And this one guy was like, I don't like fake stuff. And he was basically talking about like procedures and whatnot. He was like, I don't like fake. And he did use the word fake too much. But I was just, even though I believe in like bodily autonomy, I was just glad somebody said it. Because there are just loads of like, I'm just like, what does this say to the youth of the UK when, like, you know, like, six out of seven or whatever of the Love Island contestants have had some kind of procedure, I feel like it says, like, this is what is the standard of, like, attractiveness. Mm-hmm. And, like, this isn't a joke. It's just kind of a rant. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. I'm a feminist, but I was... Well, okay, uh, two things. One is, on Too Hot to Handle, the summer they were talking about a certain amount of prize money, and I don't know mm. what it was, 60000 or something, and, and uh, one of them said that. One of them, one of them said, fuck it away. Well, one of them said, that's like three boob jobs. And I thought, well, how many do you need, firstly? Yeah, yeah, um, what math is this? But well, that um, was for her. It was like, you know when people say, like, it's 10 cans of Coke, or that's like the deposit mm-hmm. on a house? Mm-hmm. That was her metric. And I was like, and this is not for me, you know, I've had friends who've had boob jobs. You know, there are some people who absolutely need to access boob jobs because they've had a mastectomy, they're trans, there's there's all sorts of things. Or they just want to when they've breastfed. This is not for me, a woman who was not breastfed, to tell anybody else what to do with her breasts. But that is that base standard of what we must get. But, I'm a feminist, but I was secretly so thrilled that I met a woman at a party who's one of those doctors that does butt lifts and she Mm. told me somebody came in and asked for a butt like mine, Deborah Francis White. This is a huge moment. Okay, it's not that huge a moment, Kima. No, this is um, great. I, I just no, I just took exception to the word huge. Um, I love it's that. a medium sized hype perky <laughs> moment. No, I do have a I, I do have a huge I do have a huge bum, but 
It's thank- a delicious little caboose. What are you going to do about it? Well, do you know, when I was younger, it was all Cape Moss. And, you know, big bums were not fashionable at all. And it was just mm. constant, constant, constant. Yeah, sort of you like- got to be on the cocaine and water diet. And if you have too much water, you're going to bloat. <laughs> and just, I was never going to have a small bum. It just wasn't on the cards for me. And because Jesus loves me, I assume, uh, mm. big bums have come into fashion. And oh, yeah. now somebody has walked in, some small bummed woman has mm. walked into a doctor and said, I want the Deborah Francis White. This mm. is a big moment for me. I will oh. be honest. Oh. I'm finally a bum icon. Wow. This is huge. Again, not huge. This is Perky and well-sized. This is plump and lifted. <laughs> okay. Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminists of me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host, Kima Bob, and our very special guests, Disabled Eliza, Dr. Annabelle Sowamimo, Grace Davies, and Pandora Sykes, talking about Free Britney! This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Kima Bob, and we're talking about Free Britney! Yeah! Okay. Hey, gang. Um, Kima, how are you? Um, pretty cool, actually. Now, uh, when oh. I said on Twitter we were going to do a Britney Spears episode, you immediately yeah. contacted me yeah. within seconds and said... I want in. Yeah, on multiple ways. I think I slid in your DMs and texted you, and I was like, uh, I think it was a kind of like a soft death threat, and I was like, if, if you let anyone else host this, it will be the end. That's why it was very vague, <laughs> threatening, and here I am. Um, <laughs> I'm just like very passionate um, about this as a young woman who works in entertainment, who deals with mental health issues. Um, I feel like this story, this situation encapsulates so many of like my fears, but also like other people's fears as well. Like there's so much to be afraid of, but also angry about. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I can say that I'm both of those at the same time. I multitask like a good little lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a scary situation. Is it something you fear? I think what freaks me out, yeah, is that, um, you know, people who deal with uh, mental health issues, there's a range of functionality that we can have. And the idea that someone who's not me would be able to say, uh, too unwell to um, decide who your doctor is, who your therapist is, to spend your money, etc. It's terrifying. It's, like, and when we look at Britney Spears, like she's been working since she was like a kid, mm-hmm. you know? And I know, um, I, I know that. She, yeah. Because I you know that she was a musketeer. Yeah. Um, but some of this audience forgot that. Yeah. Forgot that. But they know now, though. That's important. That's why they've come, here, they've come here yeah. to learn. About those years exactly. Uh, oh, <laughs> a, a, a full, well, look, to be honest, I did know she was a musketeer. But I didn't know she was a musketeer. I knew she was a musketeer with Justin Timberlake, but I didn't know she was a musketeer to think, well, I probably had heard it and forgotten until yeah, I listened to Pandora Sykes' brilliant show. What does with that also, mean? Like, what is a musketeer at all? What is that? Okay, you're is it American. A How do you not know that? Well, I, I wasn't alive then, I don't think. 
I don't that's know. disappointing and depressing. I think I was still on soft foods when she okay. was a musketeer. <laughs> okay, all right. They lost well, their relevance later. Okay, <laughs> okay, don't rub it in. Okay, you're a young woman. Yes, we get it. Very, very, very young. So I'm three years old, Debs. How am I speaking? <laughs> you're very advanced for your months. Um, when, when I was a child, the Musketeer Club was a thing. Um, so these children would come out and sing and dance, and then they would wear like little mouse ears on their head. You know, if you go to Disneyland and you can buy those ears, yeah. Well, I love a mouse ear. Well, listen, you would have been a great musketeer. Um, it's too late for that now. I mean, listen, never say never. Uh, the children would come out and then they would sing songs. <laughs> And I don't. Maybe they didn't get it here because no one knew the song. Yeah. Uh, but in Australia, we got the Musketeers. What was and the song? Yeah, it's. Uh, what was the song? Hey there, how there, hi there. You're as welcome as can be. M I C K Y M I U S E. Mickey Mouse. Oh, it's all coming back to me. Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Wherever we shall we hold the banner high? High, high, high. Which is just kind of weird to like praise your allegiance to a mouse. Yeah, actually, <laughs> looking back, it is a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> Because it is, there is, it is a forever song. It's got a touch of the fascist regime about it. Looking yeah, back. it's kind of hardcore. It's ma- when I, I, I've known some people um, who I, I studied theater in college, so of course I went to school with some people who became Disney princesses, and they seem very unhappy. Um, but I think what freaks me out about this is just like if this can happen to a very famous, very rich, blonde, white woman, what chance does anyone else have? And it's really spooky because, like, crises happen all the time. People lose their shit every day. Um, And I feel like we should have more space and understanding in our society for that. And I'm really excited for the people that you've invited on to chat to us about it because um, they seem to really know their shit. And while I'm just afraid and angry, they have, like, facts. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm excited about. I have feelings and theories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have hypotheses. Yeah. If anyone's interested in a mild hypothesis. Ooh, a tinfoil hat. It's on me. That's <laughs> um, I will make you a tinfoil hat with mouse ears. Thank you so now, much. football isn't that's right we made it all the way home baby all the way home I hesitated because I thought what if I said Britney Spears your host for this evening Britney Spears like what reaction would I get and then I thought an amazing one and then I would walk out and I would get disappointment and I can't have that because this is only the fourth time I've left my house in a year and a half so I need only celebration of my presence we are talking about free Britney and conservatorships And this is important to know about because the truth is all successful women in show business and hot young men in show business are basically wagyu beef. You know those cows in Japan and they just like fill them up with Guinness and massage them and treat them really well, but it's not going to end well for them? Do you know, they're they're plumping them up for your delectation when you go to a restaurant and you go, "Mm, this is the best beef I've ever had. Yes, that's all pop stars. That's all. But sometimes also comedians. I have had Wagyu beef moments. That's right. Oh, I've been pumped full of gift bags and Botox. I'm not lying when I say, yeah, there are times when you're wheeled out and there is a cash cow element to your existence. I'm not comparing myself to Britney Spears in any way, except I think she would also rock this jumpsuit. Also, my loneliness is killing me. 
Um, I, yeah, of course, we all had aspirations to be Britney Spears when we were younger. We saw her writhing and flipping her hair and thought, God, that looks like a great job. Turns out, no. Turns out it's not a great job. Turns out it sucks your humanity out like a Dyson. It turns out that you end up as half a person desperately struggling, going, please, can you see me? Do you remember the Friends reunion? Surely you do. It was only two weeks ago. Um, The Friends reunion. You know when they turned out and you just looked at them and went, yeah, this doesn't make you happy. I still want it, though. Um, I still believe it would make me happy. Who still believes? Still believe. Uh, Who still believes? There's a lot of Britney lyrics. It's going to happen a lot tonight. I don't know what to tell you. I will do it a lot. And if I don't do it, because I miss one, could somebody here do it? Does anyone think they know a lot of Britney lyrics? Give us a cheer. Yes, okay. Could somebody take responsibility, if you hear a Britney lyric, uh, to shout it or sing it in its original form? Anybody here? Who's, yes, what's your name? Sophie. Okay, all right. So, for example, if I were to say, I still believe, you would go... No, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I may need to do auditions for this. I may need to do this. I'm going to need this to feel full of heart and pump, and it's going to need to reach uh, the sound desk. Do we need a few people to do it at the same time? That is not one person to do it. It's a lot, Sophie. This is a lot to take on. You were not prepped before the show. I think it's a lot to ask. You don't want to be Wagyu. No, absolutely. You've, you've, but listen, learning fast. Don't want to be Wagyu. Don't want to be one of the friends. It's a miserable life. People just see you as Rachel and then they can't date you properly because all they're doing is going, oh my God, I'm with Rachel, in their head over and over and over for the full course of the relationship until you leave them on a sidewalk somewhere. That is how it works. Um, so we we'll might need a few people. So just give us a cheer if you're up for this. Great. Okay, so I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to do a more subtle one now to see if they get it. Uh, you know, and I often think everybody wants a piece of me. Thank you. Good. Good, strong work. That's right. That's very strong work. I know it's hard because it's hot and you're in masks. And so you feel like less like, like engaging, laughing, singing lyrics. It might even be still illegal to sing lyrics. Is it still illegal? I think the only legal song to sing as a group now is Football's Coming Home. And that's, we are allowed to sing that on a loop, apparently, uh, but nothing else. Uh, so, yeah, it, there are times in my life, definitely, I felt controlled. I spent some time in a cult, which I've talked about, where men made all my decisions for me. In that way, I do relate to Britney Spears very much. That I was a reverse Britney Spears, because I, I had men policing me to look more dowdy. Um, <laughs> She will have someone come along and go, that's not low-cut enough. That was not my problem. I literally had a skirt to here. And by the way, I was 19, and my skirt was on my knee. But when I sat down, it sort of crept up a bit in the way that skirts do because of physics. Brother Ron and Brother Alan. Basically, what would happen is I would go to the Kingdom Hall behaving like a devout and dowdy young woman, Sister Deborah, as I was then. Uh, Thank you. Uh, And, you know, funnily enough, in a nearby congregation, someone I saw at parties a lot uh, was called Brother Peter, a man to whom, in those days, all girls were mysterious. Um, That's right, it was Peter Andre. (laughs) True story. I bumped into him. A lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses go into pop. Jerry Halliwell, it happens a lot. Or fame in some sort. I suppose if you've knocked on doors telling people that they're wrong on a Sunday morning, just performing is just not scary anymore. It's just... (laughs) So, uh, God, I've forgotten uh, what I was going to say. Oops. Thank you. Yes. Come on. Now we're cooking with gas. Yes. Come on. 
So yeah, I uh, it, genuinely what would happen is I would go to the meeting in something dowdy and uh, conservative and then two plumbers and electrician would come to my house the next day and tell me that what I was wearing was too short. That's true. Uh, they were not men who had been to theological college. I don't know how that would have made it better, but it would have felt somehow better. And I did this uh, a show on Radio 4 about it and I had a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses writing to me and saying, you were in a very fancy congregation to have two plumbers and an electrician. It was only window cleaners where I lived. And it is, <laughs> that is true. Nothing wrong with any of those professions, all perfectly noble professions, nothing wrong. I mean, certainly I would love to be able to rewire a plug or, or undo a loo or, I don't know, and my windows are horribly dirty. I'd be delighted. I never paid for any of those services when I was a Jehovah's Witness. That was one huge advantage. And I assume Brittany doesn't pay for, um, I don't know, um, snakes. But... <laughs> whatever the people around her do. But, you know, in many other ways she does because uh, she is not allowed access to her own bank accounts or, as it turns out, her own cervix. Uh, so we have an incredible panel tonight to talk about these things and I want to crack on as fast as possible because our panel is learned. They are feminist as fuck. And you are going to leave here a throbbing, fizzing information bubble ball of energy going out into the world to talk about the idea of women being owned and controlled and how easy it is for it to happen and how fucking difficult it is to happen to Justin Timberlake, if I'm honest. It's much harder for him, right? He's producing his own music. He's producing his own films. He's trusted to have a dog. There's so many things about his life that's different from Britney Spears' life. And we cannot kid ourselves and say gender doesn't play into that. Um, so are you ready for the show to begin? <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminist. I need to tell you about a very exciting show that's happening this Saturday, the 24th of July, noon at Soho Theatre, Dean Street, London. It's the Guilty Feminist at Sheddonborough. That's right. Last year, there was no Edinburgh Festival, but there was a Sheddonborough Festival. It was a shed on stage at the Soho Theatre. And the Shed Station of 2020 will return for another packed edition of the best French theatre, comedy, music and spoken word. So if you come along noon on Saturday, obviously get a ticket because uh, they are limited. You will be able to see me in conversation uh, with a Guilty Feminist regular and we will be answering your questions as well as doing Smile Feminist Butts, Stand Up, that kind of thing. In a way, you're the guest. Uh, so come along, join us at noon. You're not doing anything at noon. You've got no plans. Of course, you haven't. It's Saturday. Come along and join us. It's going to be really exciting and fun. Tickets are at SohoTheatre.com. Now, on the 10th and 11th of September, we have two really big, spectacular, all singing, all dancing shows at the South Bank Centre. We're at the Queen Elizabeth Hall, 7.30pm. Get your tickets now at SouthBankCentre.co.uk. Or you can find tickets to anything at guiltyfeminist.com and click through. We will be coming to Australia and New Zealand in October and November. Some of the best shows we've ever done have been in Australia and New Zealand. So we're very, very excited to come back. We will be on the 21st of October in Wellington, 22nd in Christchurch, 23rd in Auckland, 26th in Sydney, 29th in Perth, 31st in Canberra, uh, 3rd of November in Adelaide, the 5th of November in Melbourne and the 8th of November in Brisbane. So get tickets now, guiltyfeminist.com. If any of the dates have to move, we'll transfer your ticket over or refund your money. So buy with confidence, but do buy as soon as you possibly can because tickets to the Australian New Zealand shows always sell out. And now back to the podcast. 
first guest today is a content creator who works to raise disability awareness and encourage LGBTQ plus positivity. Please welcome Disabled Eliza. Our next guest is the founder of the community interest organization Decolonizing Contraception and a trustee for the charity MedAct. Please welcome Dr. Annabelle Sowamimo. third guest is a critically acclaimed singer-songwriter from Blackburn who came second on The X Factor as the first contestant in the show's history to perform all original music throughout. Please welcome Grace Davies! And finally, please welcome back to The Guilty Feminist, the writer and presenter of a new eight-part pod doc for BBC Radio 4 called Pieces of Britney. It's Pandora Sykes! Okay. I love an extra large panel. I feel like like there was Magic Mike XXL. This is like Guilty Feminist XXXL. I love it. It's very much how it's planned. But there's just so many sides to this story, and we want to cover them. And just to say, I did check backstage that Eliza wanted to be introduced as disabled Eliza because I don't want to get emails of people going don't bring your guests on as disabled Eliza it's okay disabled isn't a bad word no I know (laughs) I know I know but I still feel like I need to say that's how I was asked to introduce you by you to be fair I did go to my PO box the other day and the lady behind the desk somebody had addressed it to disabled Eliza and she was like somebody said something really offensive on your Oh, <laughs> and I was really taken. I was like, "Oh, what, what have they said?" And it was just oh. my—it's because it's my username. So I, I love that that's a part of your work, destigmatizing disability. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. disabled mm-hmm. is not yeah. a bad word. I will preach that till the end I of the day. You. It's important. It's important. So first of all, let's come to Pandora because I've listened to your amazing Radio Four show about Britney, and you seem to be like a world expert on Britney. You have done so much research into what's happened. Um, So do you want to give us a little overview, Pandora, of the conservatorship? Because you covered it so brilliantly on your Radio 4 show. So I get quite scared ever talking about the conservatorship just because it is so complex and there's things coming out every day. There's so many myths around it, so much unfounded information that I worry that I might have missed something. But what I understand to have happened is that... In 2008, uh, no, beginning of 2009, Brittany was placed in two involuntary psychiatric holds. And after the second involuntary psychiatric hold, she was put in a temporary conservatorship um, by her parents. That did not necessarily mean it would become permanent, but hers was very quickly made permanent. And the conservatorship, the probate conservatorship that Brittany is currently in, and has been for 13 years, exists in two parts. It's a conservatorship of her person, and it's a conservatorship of her estate. So of her person, it means, I mean, we now know that it went as far as her not being allowed to have her coil removed. Mm -hmm. She's not allowed to get married because she can't sign a legal contract. She is, according to her, she is paid $2,000 a week allowance, which is compared to the $4,000 that her father uh, takes as a co-conservator. She's had a number of different conservators looking after her person and her estate. The one constant has been her father but there have been other people such as a man named Andrew Wallet who was paid almost half a million Wallet. a year I know Wallet. nominative yeah. determinism it's oh, good that so gross. Um, it kills me 
And then most recently, Jamie, her father was a co-conservator with the Bessemer Trust, which is like a finance, they're worth like 100 billion. So I'm guessing they do all sorts of financially things. So they were handling like the estate side of it. The slightly complicated thing, and when I was writing the show, what I was really confused about is that she's actually in a voluntary conservatorship, but she never petitioned to be removed from it. However, in her testimony a couple of weeks ago, she said that she didn't know she could. And shortly after that, her court-appointed lawyer, because she wasn't allowed to choose her own lawyer, 13 years ago she was deemed uh, mentally incapable of choosing her own lawyer, her court-appointed lawyer has now stood down. I don't know how much of... We don't know how much of what he relayed to her or didn't relate to her. But he has now stepped down, as has the Bessemer Trust. They have said now that they know she wants to leave the conservatorship, they don't want to be in charge of her estate. Now that they know, side eye, side eye, side eye. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's so difficult to know who knew what. what? I mean, ultimately, yeah. most people knew she was in a conservatorship who worked with her or who ran anything with her because she was in it in 2009. And even when she went on The X Factor in the UK... And Simon Cowell is then kind of, you know, on Ellen going, oh, she didn't talk very much. She wasn't very chatty. They knew she was in a conservatorship. Like, she was so, everything was so highly managed around her. Mm -hmm. You could not work with her and not know she was in one. However, there's obviously lots of people saying that they didn't know the depths of what kind of managing Mm -hmm. and manipulation was of her. And it's playing fast and loose with the word voluntary if you don't know you're in something voluntary. So if you are locked in a room and you try the door, and it seems to be locked, and then later someone says, oh, well, there was a key up on a high shelf behind you the whole time, but you couldn't see it or access it, then it's not as voluntary as all of that. Um, So, Eliza, can we come to you? Because you talk about this from a disability activist perspective. In Britain, we don't have conservatorships, do we? No. Um, So we have something called a deputyship, which is a lot, lot less strict. There's a few other things as well. You may have been one. So if you have a family member that became unwell, you may step in to kind of look after what they're doing with their money. However, in America, it's a lot stricter. So in the UK, the rules of you're allowed to decide what you want to do. If you want to go and get a coffee, you can go and get a coffee. You choose what you want. And in fact, in some situations, somebody may be your deputyship and say like, oh, I think you need some new shoes let's say but you you don't want to buy them and so they can't force you to do that for example Um, and they can't spend more than 500 pounds without kind of a court saying yep that's okay so you can't just go and spend five million pounds of your dad's money or whatever um you said backstage something that terrified me you said most people end up in a deputyship at some point in their life well it's not necessarily that you know everybody in this room is gonna end up but it's not something that's super rare Mm -hmm. um but it's nothing to be scared of it's something that might happen to you if you become unwell and you're 80 and you develop dementia for example you may get put in a position where you need help and support and that's what it is it's there to help and support you so your kind of decisions are not taken away your human rights are not taken away it's just that you may need a little bit of extra help so for example you may struggle when you're older to read a legal document and you may need somebody to sign it for you so that's when you give like your parents will say oh by the way we want to give you power of attorney yes. and they're perfectly young and lucid and planning a trip to Provence but they say to you we just want to do this with you because what if we suddenly aren't and then we don't want yes, a stranger exactly. taking over exactly so it's nothing kind of in the 
UK, although there are a lot of issues with disability, we don't quite have the same thing. That Somebody isn't going to come in and be like, I own all of your decisions now. And in fact, it's actually very hard to do that. So things like um, when we're talking about sectioning, for example, it can be very difficult for that to happen in the UK. So, But what's the situation then with the conservatorship in America? Do disabled people fear this massively? Um, so interestingly, I actually asked my audience and a couple of them had been put in them and they do fear them. So America doesn't actually track how many people are in them, um, conveniently, um, but it's around 1.3 million people no. are currently in one. So it's not like 10 people. We're talking like a million people are currently under one. And when we're talking about Britney, we're talking about somebody that has, you know, millions and millions of fans who are here, her stories all over the news when we're talking about something that is affecting a million more than a million disabled people right now who don't have that support so yeah it's quite scary when you actually get into it has Brittany identified as disabled not that i know of and this is kind of an argument that lots of people will bring up and be like but Brittany's not really disabled but the truth is whether or not Brittany identifies as disabled or not she's being impacted by disability laws so these laws are designed for disabled people whether or not she uses that label whether or not she is or isn't disabled in some ways is a bit irrelevant because she's being impacted by disability laws and should disabled people if they are disabled ever be put in a position where every single decision is taken away from them for life <laughs> like Bam. we're not talking about you know maybe there might be a situation where somebody needs help for six months two years but do they need to have that autonomy taken away forever and that's the issue are we saying that people can't get you know improve with help are we saying that we can just decide that somebody at a certain age is no longer going to be able to make any decisions ever again does this happen to women and people of minority genders more than men um, looking at the research, it's difficult to say um, because when we look at disability, looking at disability, it comes from a lens where people kind of, when you're disabled, you're kind of a bit othered and it's kind of mm. like, oh, well, you know, you're just an over there. You're not part of my problem because you've got something wrong with you. And when you actually start to kind of look through it through kind of like feminism and through like a kind of leftist angle, it becomes very scary because you start to see the ableism that really runs through it. And because there isn't any exact statistics, it's really difficult to say who's more affected. But, I mean, looking at our society, we can take an educated guess that, yes. That, that will probably be the case. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Annabelle, you look like you're wanting to come in there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, firstly, for inviting me. Um, and some just, yeah, I think the Britney story for me is so powerful because it shines a light on just such a range of issues so we'll go down the line of the reproductive issues but the the psychiatric um and how I think often medicine is framed as doing kind of good and as a doctor I like to think that for the most part I'm trying to do good and right by my patients but I think that often people look at it within a void and remove the kind of historical context of medicine sometimes and how it's acted less favorably and actually as an oppressive factor for marginalized groups. So disabled people, people that are racially marginalized, women, the list goes on, people that are gender non-conforming, medicine's always acted in that vein. Um, just to come back on the point regarding the disparities, does this happen more to people of color? If you look in the UK context and you think about psychiatric health, 
black people are much more likely to be diagnosed with conditions like schizophrenia. Um, Britney Spears, as, as I understand it, has been diagnosed with bipolar, but psychotic illnesses and much more likely the data shows to have their liberties restricted, so end up in secure units um, with uh, more severe kind of measurements placed on them, end up there for longer periods of time. And the end result of being sectioned is that people act within your best interest. So if somebody thinks that you shouldn't have a baby because it might make your psychosis worse, Mm. then that's precisely what happens. So there is a disproportionate impact when it comes to black and brown people um, in this country and same data in the US as well often in predominantly white countries that is the case and we haven't really explained these statistics and they've been bandied around now for decades. Mm. I think a part of it has to do with like the way that we code how people behave and not like understanding folks. I wanted to jump in because um I went to a psychiatric hospital after I had a big breakdown and It was like right before my 20th birthday. It was scandalous. I was stressed out. I was working too much. I was schooling too much. I wasn't sleeping. It was everything. Um, And my brain was like, I can't do this. Um, And I ended up in a hospital where my autonomy was um, taken away. My mom thought it was the best thing for me at the time. But it actually ended up being a more traumatizing than helpful experience. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to write a book. Um, (laughs) And they actually prescribed me lithium at one point which is what Brittany was saying that she was prescribed and let me tell you I felt so horrible it felt like a tranquilizer for like my being Mm. I don't know how to describe it but I just remember telling my mom I feel gray Um, and my mom is a chemist she believes in medicine and the system and whatnot and she just said to me well that's what meds feel like And I was like, no, Uh, so I stopped taking it, maybe not in the best way possible, Um, but now I'm on medicine that actually works for me and I actually feel like myself. And so when I heard that she was, you know, on that quite powerful drug that can um, permanently impact the way that your mind functions if you're on it long enough, it's just heartbreaking. And I think that's something that's really important to remember in this. You can medicate someone to the point that they are not themselves. Um, and they are not functioning at whatever capacity they could, or you know. And also, in addition to medication, like people do need um, healing and therapy. And when we look at Brittany's life and the work that she does, uh, I feel like there's loads of reasons to be traumatized. Um, and I think she would really benefit from like a trauma-based approach instead of a let's control you and feed you these pills approach. Oh my God, I don't think anyone should be allowed to be famous before they're 25 anymore because there's too much, there are too many opinions. You know, like. You gotta get these kids off. Eliza, get off TikTok. <laughs> Seriously, like there's just, you know, you're 18 and you scrub or, you know, someone, they, everyone doesn't like your song or whatever. Terrifying. And it's like, it used to be there were four or five papers who would say something about it. Now, there's like literally millions of people screaming their opinion at you. And I just think it's so bad for your brain. And if your brain is not yet, um, your brain doesn't uh, fully, Mm -hmm. I don't know, Annabelle, tell me here. Your brain doesn't fully... Doesn't fully develop um, until... Yeah, so through your adolescence, it is, you know, you're more likely, they say, to make kind of snapshot decisions and, you know, judge character incorrectly because it's still developing. And um, that's why people 
I guess, need a bit more supervision Mm -hmm. or oversight about their decision-making. But I honestly agree that I'm a bit worried about a generation that's on the internet Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. too early and what that's going to mean for people's development. But I'm probably going off. No, no, no. It's imp- it's part of it. We're all famous to the people who follow us now, and we're all trying to put out pictures to... That's a know. very strong word, but thank you. <laughs> but, you know, you might be 16, but you can be famous to your friends by posing in, you know, sort of particularly coy ways. Um, I don't know, like, Grace, you were on X Factor. Were you very young when you were on it? I was 20, yeah. yeah. So I, I was the oldest in my category. I shared a bedroom with two 16-year-olds. Oof. And honestly, I would not have been able to do that when I was 16 because for me, it was completely traumatic and I'd never suffered from mental health issues in my life until I went through that TV show. Um, so to do that as a child is, is ridiculous. I don't know how they went through that. And I think that's something that I'm very wary of when guiding other people that want to join in the industry I'm like please just wait until you know that this is what you want to do and you're you're kind of of the age where you can make your own decisions and and not be because I think a lot of parents are like oh go on x factor like we'll make you into a star and it's like you you know you can now go on when you're 14 um which you've not even finished your GCSEs can I ask what about the process uh, made it traumatic was it the gays or people like chatting about you at you yeah I, I that's think... the gays with a z i think <laughs> yeah was it was it the gays <laughs> i did wonder very uh, tough the gays yeah very very bitchy about your outfits um wasn't well, you that? know it's the whole conversation um no i think i personally was probably very naive to the tv side of it i was just someone who'd sung my whole life and wrote songs and wanted to be a singer i think when you're little every boy wants to be Beautiful a p- footballer and Thank you. Listen before I, came. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> but I think, yeah, every little boy wants to be a footballer and every little girl wants to be a pop star. And I think I'd always had it in my head that I wanted to do that. And so when you go on a TV show like that, you're kind of naive to the fact that they do want to make you cry and they want to see the drama. And I was not prepared for that at all. I was like, I write songs in my bedroom and I want to sing them to an audience and release them. And I don't want to be part of this kind of contrived reality TV did show. Did they say stuff like, can you tell us about a time when you tried drugs slash somebody you loved was ill? I mean, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of that. I, I had no sob story. I was like, I'm 20, I work in a warehouse and I sing. Um, <laughs> take me on. Um, but, you know, they, they definitely tried to pull things out of me, like my grandparents having dementia and Alzheimer's. And that was something that was very private to my family that the press managed to get hold of. And it's just like, they really want that out of you. And I cry at everything. It is the mm. first emotion that comes out of me. And unfortunately, I was the massive crybaby of the series because it's an experience. Like, there's so many highs and so many lows. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's traumatic. For sure. For for anyone, whether you're 16 or 40, you know? Yeah. And so imagine if that's sort of almost your only life, which I think it was for Britney. Pandora, can you talk a bit more about where you think Britney might be now and what you think might be going to happen? Or is that too speculative? Um, I mean, I don't think any of us have any idea. And I think the slightly complicated thing about us hearing from her directly a couple of weeks ago, and obviously it was leaked to Instagram, it was filmed, you know, illegally. 
which again I, I felt very uncomfortable about. Um, I didn't realise that. So it was it was leaked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought we were allowed to hear that. I thought it was when I was no. listening to it. it no, was you, like we shouldn't. The person's phone was like going up, and I was like, "Ooh, you yeah. recorded this movie." In the I think theater. this is the slightly difficult thing is that that the whole process has been sealed, um, and then we saw that bit. Now some people say, "Oh, but what we need is transparency." But I'm not saying it's the same as Brexit. But what we saw with Brexit is an unbelievably complicated decision that we were suddenly being asked to vote on and understand everything about when we don't vote on trade laws and international economic government things. That, that's how I call it. Yeah, for that reason so, that we call yeah. them international but economic government, government things. things. Government things. We don't know. I don't, I don't know, know what the acronym them. is, but there is yeah. one. I don't know about them. I don't want to, I don't, I wasn't but the educated pop, but to be honest. The, the conservatorship is that, the bits and bobs, yeah, the giblets, is that everyone suddenly thought they knew everything and there was a mm. lot of extrapolating, like when there was, you know, the judge said last week that uh, he was reject. she she was rejecting um, Brittany's petition to remove her father as her co-conservator and everyone was in uproar I saw on social media. But that was a petition made in 2020. It wasn't one made this year. What she's talked about in court, she has stated that she does not want to be in a conservatorship but she hasn't legally petitioned that yet. Mm -hmm. And it's likely to be a really long process. Multiple uh, legal professionals have said that it could be 2023. Yeah, I've got really confused with the Euros being the 2020 thing. What's oh, going on? Yes, so I keep yeah. forgetting what year we're in. So it's 2023. True. And um, that it could be like a trial that she will be deposed to give evidence and that a lot of people will be deposed to give evidence. And we have seen just a snapshot of it. Um, what I hope is that she is able to, this conservatorship is dissolved and she is able to be, um, I don't think that she should have no support. I think just the trauma of the last 13 years and not being able to make any decisions would probably... Everyone needs support. Everyone That's needs support. But in a way that obviously That's enables her to live, to live the yeah. life that she wants to live. However, it is really, really difficult to get out of conservatorship, particularly the kind of conservatorship that she has been in. Um, voluntarily in. Voluntarily in. So it's going to take another three years to get out of the voluntary... Well, we're not in 2020, so two years. Two maybe. years, two years, that's right. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, we, re we really don't know what will happen. But hopefully, even while all of that is going on, there will be, because there is no scrutiny of... Um, conservatorships are so much dicier than guardianships over here. The fact that you can draw a salary, that it's... Uh, I mean, you know, her co-conservator called it a hybrid business model. Um, the fact that it can be that, hopefully there'll Ooh. be some kind of scrutiny and auditing. Yeah, she has to pay her lawyer 520000 a year. She, she has, has to, to do that. She has to pay all of her father's legal bills that he has spent fighting her to remain her conservator as well. Why does he want to remain her conservator? If he does, if, if I, if someone said to me, I don't want it to be you, like she at one point said, I'm happy for it to be them, but I'm not happy for it to yeah. be you. I would be like, then I shouldn't be on this because you've lost trust in me. Whether or not I think that's because you. Uh, oh, oh, Debs, so naive. He wants to be rich. Yeah. <laughs> he can tell There's quite a lot of mail. theories, though, about it. Like, he was a troubled guy and they had a troubled relationship. He was an alcoholic when she was growing up and he was kind of frequently absent. And a lot of people close to them thought that when Brittany was not doing so well when she was getting divorced and she had her very young boys taken away, which is heartbreaking. There are people that believe that he clamped down because he was trying to make up for lost time. I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying that that's mm. definitely a reason. But that he was so like, right, this time I'm going to be there. I right. Mean, arguably, he took that 
Too far. Too far. Yeah. Because I think if you weren't there for someone's birthday when they were nine, the way to make up for it is probably a it's really a nice... Yeah. yeah. It's probably like a really nice necklace when you turn 21. It probably isn't I'll control you forever. Just I just... So I don't know. <laughs> the film room is not the answer, probably, uh, to... Uh, God, I did... I've missed your school play. Um, now I'll keep you in a room and you'll oh. perform only for me. It's just probably not the answer. So Annabelle, I feel like you're desperate to come in. Yeah, I'm, some of the things I really feel that need to be acknowledged, and I don't know the ins and outs of Britney's specific situation, just what I've read, like a lot of people um, here, is that ultimately she was in a mental health crisis. And as a medical professional, this is really raw for me at the moment, and um, obviously can't share all the details because patient confidentiality, and that's really important. But I had a patient last week that was suicidal um trigger warning suicidal and acutely suicidal and in my clinic never happened before actively suicidal and it was very traumatic for me and and, also several members of staff and what I took home from this and I already knew this already there was no support in the system so I couldn't get an ambulance because covid they said they were busy um but what am I supposed to do about this patient? And ultimately, police ended up managing that situation. But I think what people forget is when we're thinking about this Britney situation, and Kima, you brought it up, is that if this is happening to Britney, what's happening to everyday people with no money and no resources? Mm -hmm. And there are lots of kind of policies in place that ultimately the system is not set up to provide like holistic care. Mm -hmm. So the fixation for people that are suffering from like drug misuse, mental health issues is like, how do we make them like less of a danger and a burden to society? Mm -hmm. So we need to kind of stop them having kids because they can't look after those kids and they go into care and all the other stuff often goes missing or it's like an afterthought Mm -hmm. so it's very frustrating because you can't get help for people that they need the only things people are fixated on is like what costs kind of society money so it's you know cheaper if it's cheaper for them to go into an institution oh, or if it's super cheap by the way and these are the aspects of medicine that i think often don't get talked about mm-hmm. and this is why i think the britney situation is so striking because yes she's like this multi-millionaire pop star that's found herself in this situation and in many ways is very far removed from people's lives but actually it's really really relevant because so many people have mental health issues so many people particularly around covid i've seen so many patients that are just on the edge and there's nothing for them it feels like you have to do very little, actually, to draw attention to yourself in a way that could restrict your rights. Because we were talking about this before, about the when Britney sort of is said to have kind of, you know, lost her way, is she really freaked out at a paparazzo. But they were following her and following her and following her and following her. And she was very young. She'd had these cameras in her face for years and years and years. She had children. She didn't want it anymore. So she shaved her head. She said to make herself less of that pretty Britney that... You know, they to say, I'm not interesting to you anymore. Look, I've got kids. I've shaved my head. And then she shaved her head became a sign of mental illness. And I'm like, mm-hmm. people are allowed to shave their heads. Yeah. Can I say quickly that if I was having a crisis or a tough time and police showed up to manage mm-hmm. it, that would not be relaxing or helpful for me I mean, at all. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not what should be happening. 
is it? Yeah. I think we can all agree that's like not the best way to be managing a situation. But when you're resource strapped and there is no yeah. other way to manage mm. a situation, that's what happens in things. Well, you escalate. can't take responsibility for someone, you know, doing the ultimate like worst mm. thing. And I feel like at the same time, when people say defund the police, I think what people hear is, oh, there'll be riots all the time. But what mostly people mean is, could you please put some of these resources so that armed uniformed instruments of the state don't show up when someone needs to be calmed down, to be cared for, when someone yeah. needs to hear, I'm so sorry, but your son just died. It's not appropriate to have someone uniformed and armed. It's not appropriate. But we think, oh, that's what we do is we call the police. And we need to re- look at these other kind of resources. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Did you feel it was weird that she'd shaved her head and that's sort of seen as this touchstone? In comedy, you were saying Pandora, in comedy and in those sort of late night chat shows, the shaving of the head was seen as such a touchstone of her, you know, mental health state. But people are allowed to, you know, I feel like if Madonna did that, she'd be seen as sort of someone who was, she would be reinventing herself. You know, that we have known pop stars to have shaved heads. Like, why was that seen as such a dramatic thing? I think because long hair is such a symbol of femininity and that's kind of the aspiration, isn't it, is to have long Rapunzel locks. And and Britney was obsessed with having those locks. You know, there's lots of stories, lots of horrible heat pictures about her hair extensions, which, you know, became progressively ill-applied as she was not necessarily, you know, in a great place. So Britney shaving her head looked like the rejection of everything that had kind of made her her. It was like a sort of like, I mean, I think it was actually a very powerful statement about how she was literally trying to kill a part that the paparazzi owned. Arguably as well, she was taking agency of herself by shaving her head, but she was also making the people filming her. It's really I found it very, very moving to watch and very emotional. She is looking at the paparazzi filming her through the window after she's shaving her head. So she's actually making people, I think, complicit. So obviously we don't know if she did it because she was doing it to feel great or if she was doing it because she was at her wits end and sort of by that point wanted to just Maybe just some kind of cool performance art. Who even knows? But also women shaving their head has always been seen as like a really, really terrifying thing. I mean, Sinead O'Connor always got that as well, didn't she? And that's why actually Michaela Cole, I think, seeing her and women like her on screen having shaved heads and, you know, it not being associated with a meltdown as it became part of Britney's mythology. That was her meltdown. She shaved her head and she hit a car with an umbrella. And that was her meltdown forever it's and ever. It's not that much, is I mean, it? I've got I feel I've done, done more. Worse. Yeah. I feel I've done more. For I mean, sure. I won't share what I've done, but I feel like I've... I mean, I haven't... Don't, now, I've, now I've said I've done I more. I threw a burrito at my mum. <laughs> I think this is so... This is so... It's actually fascinating. I hadn't thought about this, like, aspect of the Britney case before, but, like, what is considered the threshold for certain people? There was this... I'm not sure. I think I saw it on Twitter, but there was this case of a young black woman who went 
to A&E, I think, with an injury. And they tried to get her sectioned because she said that she had gone to Cambridge. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. And then she had to start rifling in her back Obviously and show them her uni, uni badge and was like, no, 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 I'm literally fine. <laughs> I did actually go to Cambridge. That was their threshold oh for them God. being like alarmed that she was delusional, that she was in this A&E <laughs> as a young black woman saying she'd it's gone to Cambridge. It's really horrible. So I think also what is really fascinating is like how medicine views certain groups mm. and the state and what that threshold is and why people are disproportionately diagnosed or how they're treated when they enter into these systems because of the lenses that people are looking at them and the racism or the you know queerphobia whatever is that's coloring mm. people's judgment as well mm. yeah I think that's, that's really a- interesting as kind of coming from a disabled lens I was too scared to tell my GP about my mental health diagnosis because I thought it would be used against me when it comes to treatment of my disability because I have a condition that's quite difficult to diagnose. I went 22 years without a diagnosis, was told that I was faking, was told it was all in my head. And so I was scared to say, you know, yeah, I have OCD and I've been diagnosed with it because I thought that that would be used against me when trying to access treatment for my physical condition. And that's, you know, a reality that many disabled people face because we are told so often that we're faking or we're just doing it for attention because of the narrow view that people have of disability. And like when we come back to Brittany, everyone's always so kind of desperate in a way to prove that she isn't disabled because she can do all this and she can do that and she's done this but in reality I sitting here look like a you know well put together in air quotes person who has makeup on yet at home I can't cook my own food so you know I don't look like somebody that wouldn't be able to feed myself but I need a lot of support for things like that because disability is so kind of messed up within the media in how we view it. We view it as somebody who is a wheelchair user. And if you're a wheelchair user, that means that you can't do this, this and this. When disabled people can be successful, but we may struggle in other ways. And I think, you know, when we think about mental health as well, so often, you know, we're, we're scared to say, you know, we've got these conditions and so many disabled people do because of the way that we are treated. And coming back to kind of medicine and when we're talking about mental health and saving money and things like that things like only 10% of housing is accessible yet 20% 25% of the population are disabled so mm. like <laughs> everything is just you know working against us a and bit it's frustrating up. yeah yeah <laughs> sorry it's but... <laughs> yeah it's massively massively skewed against disability and it's also we've still got that in society that thing of oh I don't really know how to deal with it I don't really know how to look at it let's just keep walking and put blinders on. And I think especially with mental health, there's a sort of, oh, oh, I don't know what to say or do. And we just need to be educated better. It's fascinating. This guy I know that runs a very, like, kind of big... Uh, mental health like awareness organization he was speaking to me and um, he suffers from like panic disorder and he was speaking to me and he goes oh but you have bipolar disorder and that's like quite bad right Mm. (laughs) and I was like how are you in charge of stuff like people just really don't understand and I think like oh what the world needs now is to understand what's going on with other people yeah that would be great 
So just kind of picking up on Eliza's point, um, I think really cheeky plug, but also very, very pertinent conversation. Um, we did a report, so decolonizing contraception, some researchers at the University of Lancaster and um, the British Pregnancy Advisory Service on human rights. What is decolonizing contraception? Um, big question. Um, so it was founded about three years ago. I found it with other people working in sexual and reproductive health. It's a collective, we're a non-profit. And it was very much started off like through articles like as I write as well, um, on Galvem about the kind of history and the legacy of contraception and abortion and reproductive rights, particularly for marginalised groups. So there's quite a long, lengthy history of reproduction kind of being controlled and the narrative that we can kind of control the fertility of um, some of the most marginalised groups in society. And I felt that seeing all of the things that we're talking about today and the disparities that we see in healthcare, mm -hmm. that it just seemed like nobody wanted to talk about this icky thing, but it was actually very relevant to who gets access to services, my work, how people are treated when they come to clinic, for example, young people and people being like, no, we don't want you to have a child, working class people, people being like, I don't think you should reproduce if you can't feed that child. And I felt like all those conversations were absent. So basically, I created this space for us to have some of those conversations. Fair so ass. we did this research and it was looking at long acting reversible contraception. So methods like the interuterine device that Brittany had and um, the depot injection, um, which some people might use, and implants, and really looking at how it's offered to marginalised groups, so people with disability, young people, racially marginalised groups in the UK. And we've never really looked at it from a UK perspective because there's a lot of research in the US. And basically, the findings, it was through interviews and surveys. So we did 1,000, and 43% of almost 1,000 people that replied to the survey said that they had had reproductive coercion so that means like feeling like a provider's pressuring you to use mm -hmm. something or feeling like you couldn't take it out when you wanted to have it taken out because somebody either said that they don't have time or you can't get an appointment which happened a lot during covid because mm -hmm. clinics closed and a lot of the people that we spoke to were people that were disabled or felt like they couldn't go into a consultation and like advocate mm. for themselves. And so, yes, again, Britney's is really far removed, you know, millionaire pop star, but these things are so alive and well. But she's still They're got a so... coil in her, she doesn't yeah, want that. Yeah, exactly. And she has explicitly said, I would like it to be removed. I want to get married and have a child. And the grown-ups around her are saying, what you are capable of is writing songs, choreographing routines, getting out on stage, um, managing, how many perfumes is it? Nine perfumes or something? $50 million a year that she gets off nine perfumes? I had a new... Maybe 29 perfumes. Maybe like 29? Yeah. Oh, my God. I used to have a Britney Spears perfume, and I tried to mix it with this orange-smelling perfume that I had, and it smelled like shit, and it was so bad. And I got on the school bus, and someone was like, it smells like shit, and I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> so maybe try those perfumes before don't you buy them. Don't mix them. Don't mix them. Don't mix your perfumes the, or your the drinks. The thing is about her large like amount of money, yeah, is like... Uh, for anyone to disregard her whatever because she has loads of money, she's supposed to. And I say that because that's how the industry is set up. 
If she didn't have the amount of money that she had, she would be exploited. She works incredibly hard. She sells loads of tickets. She does all these things. Like, do you know what I mean? So the issue is not that she has loads of money. Like, if your issue is that she has that economic privilege, then, I don't know, stop buying T-shirts and going to concerts. You know, so the issue is not that she has, like, hearing that she has a $2,000 a week budget, like, you might go, that's crazy, but, like, she's Britney fucking Spears, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. Like, and while, until the glorious revolution, while we live in capitalism, uh, whichever way you look at it, uh, men and many other women seem to have a lot more access to their own funds. She was, again, Pandora coming back to you as the Britney expert, uh, the Britneyographer, uh, she was very poor as a child. The family were very poor as a child, uh, when she was a child, yeah? Yes, her parents struggled a lot and actually just before I think just before she joined the Mickey Mouse Club or just as she joined the Mickey Mouse Club they had had like their electricity turned off and Jamie had you know gone into the forest to hunt for kind of game to feed them so they had a very very working class uh, rural upbringing Louisiana and a lot of people have said that that was part of her motivation or part of her parents motivation for her to be famous but she also loved to sing and dance for a tiny, tiny age because she was the entertainer. Mm-hmm. Every time her you know, dad became furious, she would sing and she would dance because they distracted people, which is quite a famous thing in a lot of entertainers is they become Hi, entertainers. Hi, Bob reporting for duty. <laughs> <laughs> they become entertainers to try and you know, distract everyone from mm-hmm. the, the, the pain of, kind of, what, yeah. exactly of what's going on. So that obviously became a kind of key part of her identity but also on the kind of economic privilege thing obviously she's worth 60 million that is like not a tiny amount she's not worth anything like what she should be as a pop star of her caliber like other pop stars like taylor um beyonce rihanna are all worth like 350 450 600 million she's worth 60 she's worth like six twelve less than half of what j-lo's worth and come yeah. on yeah Brittany, she should yeah yeah kima and i together are worth I can't even count. I can't even count the dollars that I have. That's not true, is it? It's not true. I can count. It's so easy. (laughs) So, so easy. Uh, Yeah, well, okay. If you put Kima and Brittany and me together, we have a lot of money. Yeah, it would be like, how much is is Brittany worth? 60 million. It would be 60 million and a thousand pounds. (laughs) Hold on, Um, you're not not factoring in my overdraft, which is currently uh, minus a thousand. So let's let's call it the straight 60. But the thing about it, like, do you think a lot of her, um, money has been squandered in the conservatorship and stuff. Well, Jamie got a cut of a lot of her deals. So the Vegas residency she did, which was four years long, and she performed 250 shows, that bought in like $130 million, I think. He got 1.5% of that. But also like legal fees, allegedly. I have to do this all the time because so it's very litigious. Allegedly, her legal fees around the conservatorship were like three million in a year. You know, she said famously this conservatorship has cost me three million this year alone. But the money is coming in. The mm-hmm. fifty million from the fragrances, the one hundred and twenty from Vegas, like, and more, way more. But it's not hitting what's being reported in her account. So yes, it's costing her money in a lot of different ways. Can I, Annabelle? Can I ask? Is it possible for somebody to be doing a show in Vegas for how many performances? Two hundred and forty performances. Two hundred and fifty over two, four years. Two hundred and fifty performances over four years. Going out and really yeah. putting on an amazing show, yeah. and yet not being capable to decide 
how their money is spent, whether or not they should have a coil fitted, mm. whether or not they should get married. It seems not to me. It seems like if you're so, capable of going out there and selling that show. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I have to say, actually, from a medical point of view, it, it is, it is, actually. And the way we look at things from a medical point of view, we assess decisions individually. So you can look at overall capacity, and that's when, you know, people are sectioned and they generally are, you know, putting themselves at risk or they need some additional assistance. But then sometimes you look at individual decision-making about a certain thing. So you can have somebody that comes into, I don't know, a clinic or a service that may not have the capacity because of their age for example Mm. that's how we decide if somebody can have contraception or Mm. a termination so they might not be able to have the ability to make decisions about their financial welfare and their housing decision but when we look at whether they understand you know the repercussions of sex or continuing with that specific thing we have to say yeah they have capacity for that but not for something else and that is why also the Britney situation isn't as clear-cut as people might think it is because yeah she gets on stage she performs every day but in her day-to-day life she may not be functioning at the capacity where she can necessarily make those decisions I don't know obviously I don't know the ins and outs I know that there's been lots of counter arguments so some people have said that before her dad got involved she was also allegedly broke Mm -hmm. so the fact that she has any money now is potentially because She's had people manage some of her finances. I I'm don't. A, know. I feel like I'm a bit reckless or something. But like, if she wants to piss away all of her money, that's her right as the person who earned it. And if she's not trying to like harm like herself or her children, then like leave her alone. I feel like I don't know. What? Who cares if she spends all the money? Why? Why should she? Do you know what I mean? Like, I understand that. That's my instinct too. I'm literally I'm just trying like, to listen to the doctor. Let her set it on fire. <laughs> but let her set it on fire and let her cut her hair off again. Okay, so yes, I hear that. She did burn her gym down, but I don't think it was on purpose. I think, you know, also. Rachel from Friends left her hair straighteners on and burnt Phoebe's flat down. We didn't section her. Um, so, also, she's a character from a sitcom. But do you see what I'm saying? My instinct is to feel like you, Kima. I, I also feel I should listen to the wild card as well. No, I do feel exactly that. It's her freedom. But also, I try to listen to the doctor and balance it all out in my head. And I'm failing. I feel like it's like I'm getting an error reading. I don't know. Um, I know we have to finish this show soon. So, can I just put to the panel did anyone come here to say anything they didn't get to say that they want to leave on the table? Or yes. they want to throw a, a last-minute grenade in for everyone to fight over. That would also be awesome. Um, I think disabled people have kind of been screaming for years for support. And it's really exciting to see disability rights being spoken about. You know, it's an awful situation, but we are so often missed and so often spoken over. So I think it's really important to free Britney, but to also free all disabled people and to not forget us and please be an ally to us and think about us and raise our voices. It's actually Disability Pride Month in July and it's not something that I've seen any companies speak about. Um, So we are here. Hello. And, um, you know, the only thing, and this is something that Crutches and Spice has said online, the only thing standing between you and disability is luck and time. So it's something that you want to be learning about now (laughs) so that you know, so that you can 
you know your rights now. It's true. Because as everyone gets elderly, there's, you know, you lose mobility and you yeah. lose all sorts of things. And that's why the disabled community is so diverse. You know, there's so many of us. Mm-hmm. So it's just really important to know that we're here because at any point, you know, I, my disability has rapidly got worse over the last year. So it can happen at any time. And I think it's just really important to be aware. Like, we're so often pushed to the side because th- things aren't accessible. And when things aren't accessible, disabled people aren't seen. And when you don't see us, you don't think about us. So it's just important to know that, you know, we do exist and to hear our voices. Thank you so much, Eliza. Pandora Sykes, anything else to tell us about Britney or what we can do to help uh, free Britney? Because I think even if we agree that, you know, or even it's not, it's not for us to agree or disagree, it's none of our business. But, uh, but I think we can all agree that it's not what's happening now doesn't feel great and it doesn't feel feminist for her to be saying, I don't want my father in charge of me, I don't sign on to this. And yet he continues to control her and take money is there anything we could do for the free britney campaign that's not irresponsible basically i think there are two things i think the first thing is that we need to be careful not to assume that we are legal and psychiatric except for annabelle uh, experts um and that we're only seeing a soupçon that's not quite the right word is it yep. snippet um and that you know it's not about oh you know let's take all the shackles and everything off and you know to hell with everything is it's kind of it's much more complicated and it's just about the support that she wants rather than what's being placed on her. And the other thing is to stop talking about like, oh, but we don't treat women or pop stars like that anymore. Yes, we have more knowledge to talk about, say, you know, as a mother of two young children, we probably would have spoken more compassionately now about her mental health than it being reported in Heat magazine and the like at the time. But from very early on, years before she was in conservatorship, she was still being directed by the entertainment industry. And whereas women aren't abused openly in magazines and newspapers the way they were 20 years ago, they still are in the anonymous comment section on social Mm -hmm. media. So every time you see a young female pop star or influencer or, you know, I don't know, Emily Ratajkowski holding her baby wrong, that's been a recent one, isn't it? Don't go and write your baby's neck's going to fall off. You are contributing to the same thing that keeps women being told the whole time who they are, how they should behave, what they're capable of, what their limits are. So I think to look at the bigger picture about how she got to the point where this happened to her, because I think it started a long time before. I'm sorry about what I said about Love Island. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really good point, yeah, that we can contribute to it. Although I don't think you said anything mean about Love Island. I did. I actually did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Annabelle, anything you came to say you didn't get to say, or is there any way we can support decolonising contraception? Um, yeah, sure. I feel like I should admit that I'm also a guilty Love Island fan. I need that. I need that break. Um, so, I mean, firstly, I think for all the flaws that medicine has in terms of how historically it's kind of come into being and people that it doesn't do justice for and the stereotypes that people enact, um, sometimes health professionals on certain groups, free accessible health care is just so 
important in terms of having a fair society where we have social mobility. And I cannot stress enough how we have to fight for the NHS that we have. And when we look at other systems, how much disadvantage it creates when people can't access free care. So as an American, let me say amen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, and obviously we've seen it with the pandemic, but I just really want to reiterate that people should do what they can. So Medac's a really great charity of healthcare workers mobilising around different health issues and people should really support, um, you know, if you see your local service is suffering funding cuts, because ultimately in my sector, we've had so many cuts, tens of millions of pounds of cuts in sexual reproductive health services, which disproportionately affects usually those living with HIV, women accessing contraception, gay men, and the end result is marginalised groups suffer. So yeah, just as much as you can, we have to fight for our services um, because ultimately it ends in inequality. And I just feel like, yeah, it's um, massive love for um, free accessible healthcare and we all should just fight for it. It's such a privilege. Great, wonderful. Grace, have you got anything to say that you came to say that you didn't get to say? Yeah, I think, I hope that this is opening up a conversation of kind of how pop stars are sort of treated because you would look at someone like Britney and not realise that she was sort of being forced to do things that she doesn't want to do. And I think, you know, I was actually speaking to my hairdresser about it today, who is the biggest Britney fan ever. And I was like, I went to her Vegas show and I watched her. And then I listened to her speak about how she didn't really want to be there. And he felt awful because he's like, I feel like I've contributed to that. And I think it's really interesting to see how many artists are locked into things and aren't allowed to escape. And you think that they have it all. I don't know if anyone here knows an artist called Ray, who is currently going through something at the moment. She's been signed into a major record deal for seven years and it's a four album deal and she's still not been allowed to release her first album. And she's in pieces and I was signed to a major label and wasn't allowed to release for two and a half years. And that's, you know, I feel like I've had not even a taster menu of what a lot of artists have had to go through. You but weren't it takes... allowed to release for two and a half years? Yeah, yeah. And, and Why I feel won't like... they let you release? <laughs> Ask them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I think it's something that isn't talked about enough is that artists are told that they can't speak on things because they're, they're in fear of the big dogs, of the labels and of the dads, you know, who have so much control over their careers when actually, you know, you think you, you are a big pop star, you should be, you know, have control over these things and... and oh, dress. Yeah. Okay. Like a month ago, I was like curled up on my couch looking at my ceiling like, is this my life? Why yeah. is this my life? And yeah. I was like, this isn't the dream. Yeah, it's it's not the dream, but you don't realize that as an outsider. And I hope that it opens up a conversation of, you know, how rock star is it to go to rehab? Well, no, they're just fucking off the rails because they're being forced to do things probably that they don't really want to do. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. Thank yeah. you, Grace. That's <laughs> right. Would you like to hear some stand-up comedy from Kima Bob? Woo! Kima Bob, everybody! Ah. Ah. We 
we've been talking about a bunch of a uh, bunch of unfortunate things, but in all the unfortunate, we have a lot to be grateful for. Mm, so I'm gonna get you guys to uh, have a little gratitude practice with me. You know, your girl's been meditating. I'm on that Tay Tay every morning. Uh, <laughs> give me a woo if you have more than five pounds. Oh my God, you rich people, lend me some money. Give me a woo if you have had great sex in the past year. Yeah. Give me a woo if you had had a great wank in the past year. Yes, exactly. The second one should always be louder. Don't wait for other people to give you what you can give yourself. That's a great top. Can we talk about it? Where did you get that top from? Sean. Oh, my God, there's a lot of scandal around them right now, isn't there? I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the interwebs. I got off. Sorry, that's not... Tom is like, Kima, please stop. I'm going to have to cut that out. I just want to know about shirts. Um, I think it's... uh, It can be tough with all the things going on to remain positive and grateful, but we got to try. One thing I'm not happy about is all the rules that we now have in this society. Because you know me, I'm just rebellious. Like, watch this. (laughs) I just kick something on stage. I'm a bad girl. I don't care. I do what I want. I just remember back in the day when society was simple to be a part of, you know? And we had two rules to follow, just two. And it was like, don't steal, don't kill. And even then, sometimes we would mess up and forget. (laughs) Yeah, I've done some murders. You remember, no one was holding you back. You can do whatever you want. You used to be able to walk down the street, just spit in a stranger's mouth. Nobody would stop you. (laughs) Not anymore. PC culture, gone mad. (laughs) I feel like anxious now that we're back out. Like now that I'm faced with other people's gaze on the sidewalk. Does it freak you out to like be out and have to like be looked at and look at people and you're like, oh, how do we do it? Is it down? Is it up do, to the side? Do I, do I nod? Do we nod at each other? Okay. <laughs> I, um, I'm from Texas. Uh, our reputation is being like, howdy, neighbor. Uh, and so I just like aggressively yell uh, compliments at people and I'll be like, I like that shirt. You see, <laughs> just, that's just kind of my thing. I'd be like, wow, your hair is gorgeous. Um, and nobody liked it before the pandemic. They still don't. So not a lot has changed. I find it just, I don't know, I get really self-conscious about it because I'm just like, why are you looking at me? And I feel like defensive about it because for so long, no one was looking at us. We were on the streets. We were alone, baby. Ow, just us and the foxes. Like everybody was just living their life. in there. We were locked in our houses and it was not great, but we didn't have to deal with the gaze of strangers. And now that we're back out, I find that I'm just like really defensive about it and like self-conscious about it. And I'm like, what? What are you looking at? And I look at people and I'm like, mm, like, just like, ah, like trying to give off like a toughness. Just like, what, what, what are you going to do? Um, and like, I've never been in a fight before, but people codify black people to be violent. And I'm going to use it to my advantage when I can. Uh, <laughs> like, they don't know that. Um, I forget sometimes that um, I am quite a snack and a sight to see. Um, but also that I literally have a teal afro. Um, and they don't happen all the time. And people going to want to look at that. I have a rule. I feel like five to ten seconds, that's a friendly observation. Over that, at this point, you're rude. 
or you're interested in me romantically. <laughs> Don't just look, say something. Um, <laughs> it's nonsense. Like, I'm not saying that I'm like a special person, yeah? I'm just saying that, like, if I want to get a free meal at a restaurant, um, I can't use my own hair strands. Like, <laughs> just doesn't work. Like, you kind of pull it out of the soup, like, excuse me, waiter! What the hell is this? This tightly coiled, well-moisturized piece of hair that starts at a dark brown that is almost black but not quite and artfully fades to a bluish green? It just doesn't. Gotta bring hair from other people. That's why I hang out with Deborah. I just take her hair. Could be anybody's. Could be anybody's hair. Just put it in there. Um... <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, TV. Love it. Love it so much. Um, very exciting stuff. Uh, can you guys give me a woo if you identify with what I'm about to say in a moment? Um, give me a woo if you like to watch school shows about like American teenagers who are always trying to get into a prestigious college but also can't stop doing murders. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. Why do they keep killing each other? Makes no sense. Like, every episode is always like, oh, my God. I really hope that I don't get in trouble for being late to class. Also, how do you get blood out of these jeans? Like, it's so good. They're always like, oh, now that I got a C- on my quiz, I'll never get into the same college as my boyfriend. Also, do you guys remember where we hid the body? So good. There's always, like, the jock with the secret. The secret is he's gay. <laughs> okay. Like, shh, we won't tell anybody. Like, I watch it and I pretend like I don't know. Like, in episode one, he's, like, overly aggressive and stuff. He just, like, keeps, like, he's, like, bullying, like, the one gay kid. And then I'm just like, okay, I see how your character arc is gonna go. <laughs> I'll wait until you come out in episode five. Ah, so good. I also um, have been watching more, like, a free view than ever before. Previously, I was just watching loads of Netflix because I was trying to pretend to myself that I was still in America. Um, but I thought, hey, let's get real. This is where you live now. See what these people are on about. Um, and I got to say, some of the commercials, pff, alarming. Um, like, Scottish Widows. <laughs> very confused by this because I'm sitting in my house minding my business watching TV having a great time when I hear my television say to me that Scottish widows want to invest in my future <laughs> and as a sentence it's alarming because I don't know any Scottish widows and why do they care about me I'm just kind of like excuse me Scottish widows is life so debilitating without your live spouse that you just want to throw your money at strangers you don't even know if I'll appreciate it, Scottish widows. Well, good thing you ran into me, because what I want to do is to empower you. I want to pump you up, Scottish widows. You are more than just a supportive partner. You are a nationwide bank chain. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'm also I'm so freaked out by like Lloyd's Bank commercials. What are they doing? What are they saying? Um, like, because you'll be watching, you'll be watching your TV, mind your business, having a great time, and there'll be like like a woman in a bathtub, like, giving birth, um, surrounded by... You've seen it. Uh, 
surrounded by like a group of like her friends and they're like chanting and they're like birth is beauty birth is life birth is beauty birth is life birth is beauty birth is life and you'll say to yourself wow this commercial is obviously for prenatal vitamins or at the very least friendship right and then just like some some big ass horses will just like clomp across the screen and you're supposed to be like, oh, this is about money. Um, makes no sense to me. Someone should talk to the bank people. Also, can we make a note that those horses are very muscular and attractive? Those are some thick-ass horses. Always a little baby one as well. Like, they run with the whole family. That's nice. Um, guys, I got my first cat call since lockdown last week. Thank you so much. Uh, it meant a lot to me. It was a great moment. Um, it was really creative. I appreciated it so much. Uh, the guy, the guy, literally yelled after me. He goes, "Nice body," <laughs> and I replied, "Who me? I have nice body. Oh, thank you. I didn't know I had body, let alone nice one." Thank you so much. Do you want to touch? Um, <laughs> he, did, he didn't want to touch. I don't know. <laughs> they don't like it. They don't, they don't like it when you sound like that. Um, I can't explain it at all. I thought, I thought it would make me more attractive, if anything. I think it was kind of the crab leg and the... I don't know. It's just like, that's how you reel them in. Is that how you reel them in? Like when someone's like, hey, you should smile. And you're like, like this? Like... I don't know. Um, you guys have been absolutely lovely. I've been Kima Bob. Kima Bob, everybody! Hello, guilty feminists. Just before we let Grace play us out, this is me, Deborah, later in the week. I just wanted to say a couple of words because Britney Spears has said even more this week about how unhappy she is, how controlled she feels. And whatever anybody thinks about conservatorships, and there are clearly cases where some people uh, may benefit from support, this really doesn't feel in any way like support. This feels like control. And I think this is a case where we do have to believe women and that whatever's right for Brittany, it clearly isn't this. She says she's being controlled by men she doesn't trust, and that has to change. So we give Brittany Spears our full support, and we really, really hope that soon she will be happy and surrounded by supportive people she loves and trusts. And now back to the live podcast. Please follow Kima Bob on all nice of the socials uh, and catch her on all of the TV shows she's on now. Oh my God. Uh... It's true though. Um, and uh, please give Disabled Eliza a follow. She's Disabled Eliza on all of the socials. And check out Med Act and Decolonizing Contraception and maybe throw some money their way. Yeah, you're on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah. yeah I'm on she, she tweets. She tw- it's only about Love Island, though, so if you... <laughs> yeah. Love Island and serious medical <laughs> yeah, conditions. Yeah, Dr. Annabelle Sobermima is on Twitter as well. 
she certainly is. And Pandora Sykes is also all over all over your socials. Uh, Google for her writing and listen to BBC Sounds. Uh, pieces of Britney. Also, I'm Deborah Francis White. If you could like, maybe I don't know, rate, review, and subscribe this podcast and give it five stars, that would be awesome. You can rate, review, and subscribe every episode. Nobody listen to it, Deb. Stop trying. <laughs> These people have shown up. Uh, so if you could rate, review, and subscribe tonight, apparently it helps people find the podcast. So I stopped asking for that ages ago. But you can you can do it to more than one episode. So like you know, you might think I've done that. No, you have to do it to every episode. Um, and uh, I'm at DF Dubs on uh, face on um, Instagram and please add Deborah on Facebook. And don't <laughs> <laughs> on MySpace on I'm, LinkedIn, please. Yeah, don't do that. Um, I'm at DF Dubs on Instagram and I'm at Deborah FW on Twitter. Oh, and if you're listening in Australia or New Zealand, I'm coming at you in October, November. Uh, so please book seats. If you are here tonight on the 10th and 11th of September, we're going to be at the Queen Elizabeth Hall and it's going to be like, I believe, not socially distanced. Um, we don't know about the masks yet because it's September. We'll probably be okay for no masks at that point. Um, so if you're the kind of people that come out and you are, I can see you, you're here, uh, then buy tickets for that before they all go. One of those nights is going to be a Pride show because it coincides with London Pride and we've got some very exciting guests in the mix. Uh, but it's going to be more of an all singing, all dancing one with a bunch of comics and musicians and, you know, it'll be really fun. Uh, so buy tickets now because they will all go and we want you all there. Grace, what is your socials and where can we download your music in real life? Um, so my Twitter is Grace Davis and Instagram is Grace Davis Official. And then I'm just on everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Grace Davis. Got a few songs out. Another coming out in a couple of weeks. More Wonderful. to come this year. We're very excited and uh, we'll all become big fans. I feel like I'm slightly cheating on Grace Petrie by having another Grace sing on the show. Uh, but in a way, the more Grace, the better. We need some Grace always, in this country always. at the moment. Uh, and can I say a big thank you to everyone who has tuned in from around the world, especially Gavin from Canada. Gavin says King's Place was trying to get us to leave. Um, to beat, to beat, to beat the, the crowd. crowd. Oh, Gavin. Gavin uh, at one point also said that he wanted your shirt. Um, oh. I, I too saw that and I also watched um, it. And somebody yeah, says, yeah, yeah, people, are saying, people are saying thanks for live streaming it and uh, it's really great to have your support. So thank you so much. Aww. If you've tuned in and you're live streaming, we really appreciate it. Gavin's saying bye. Gavin, you're going to miss. Oh no, he's back. He's back. Um, uh, okay, all right. Uh, Chill out, Gavin. Hi, everyone, he's saying. Yeah, Gavin's now excited because we're reeling him in. Um, all right, uh, Grace Davies, what are you going to sing for us tonight? Okay, uh, I'm going to sing two of my own songs. Great. Um, so the first one, by the way, I'm a very depressing oh songwriter. <laughs> Ballads all round. Um, but the first one is called I Met a Boy Online, which I wrote in my flat alone in lockdown. Um, you know, as you do, Tinder, swipe. I Met a Boy Online. There you go. Um, so yeah, this is the first one. talk all the time he lives in my city and tells me i'm pretty does he know he lies i met a boy online i wish he was mine but it's just a distraction it won't ever happen he's wasting his time Cause what if he sees me in person and hates me like I do He'll pretend that it's not true But it's always the same 
Then I'll lie in my bed and go cry to my friends It's routine Cause why would he want me When I am this way Oh, why would he want me I met a boy online He calls every night Right when I need him And I get a feeling He's reading my mind And maybe he'll find out What's feeding my doubts See, I've never felt wanted If I'm being honest I don't know how And what if he sees me in person And hates me like I do He'll pretend that it's not true But it's always the same Then I'll lie in my bed And go cry to my friends It's a routine Cause why would he want me When I am this way Oh, I wish I could let you inside Let you love me Let you Wish I could change up my mind and let you love me Let you love me all Oh, what if he sees me in person and hates me like I do Don't pretend that it's not true It's always the same Then I'll lie in my bed and go cry to my friends It's a Cause why would he want me when I am this way? Oh, why would he want me? Why would he want me? Why would he want me? Hey. Happy Monday! Very happy vibes. Um, okay, I've got one more and I won't keep you any longer because it's a Monday and football didn't come home and we're just all a bit tired. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, this next one is called Testosterone and it's about being cheated on. Yay. Um, and just how like boys will be boys is not an excuse. So yeah, this is a Testosterone and it came out a few weeks ago. So if you want to go listen, you can. Recognize your whiskey lips, but not that perfume. Recite your lines, then go off script. Yeah, you always do. You're only a man, and you got your needs. How could I understand what I'll never be? You don't think with your heart when you're thinking of me. I can't do this anymore You're the only one who hurts me most You lie, you leave and don't pick up your phone And now you're blaming your testosterone Like that's an excuse And you go cold Don't show emotion, keep your heart like stone 
Pushing too hard. You're only a man, and you got your needs. How could I understand what I'll never be? You don't think with your heart when you're thinking of me. And I can't do this anymore. We've been the guilty feminists. A big round of applause for all of our guests and everyone here at King's Place. Thank you so much. Please come out again, buy tickets, share the podcast. You've been wonderful. We love you. I'm Deborah. Good night. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and our very special guests, Disabled Eliza, Dr. Annabelle Soamimo, Grace Davies, and Pandora Sykes. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Slitsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Tom, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. And uh, so I'm going to get you to do your stand-up later. Is Gorgeous. That okay? Oh, I'll never do it. <laughs> These people have paid for stand-up comedy from you. All right, it'll happen at some point. But if it doesn't, I'm not mad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for our guests? Yeah! Okay. <laughs> 